Everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses, we all on our telephones. With the texts and the tweets and the beats. What he said, she said, can't even follow the three. Down the hole, we all go. Me, I like keeping up too. With my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Masfina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to Chin Music. We are live at Pizza Luce in Eden Prairie. Uh, thanks to Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of this live show at Pizza Luce. Uh, Roy Smalley is here. Brandon Morton, our producer, is here. And something of a surprise, Lavelle Neal III, straight from Beijing, is here at Pizza Luce. And we're going to talk some baseball here. But, Lavelle, i gotta, I got to say, first of all, thank you for making the effort. You have to be exhausted. Yeah, my body's still trying to uh, recover after the three weeks. Um, it, it, I would just say general soreness. <laughs> it just pops up sometimes in the injury list, you know, uh, just from walking all over the place and walking up and down. And um, when you're covering, like, the skiing events. You got some bilateral leg weakness? Yeah, you're at, you're at, you're at, you're at 6,000 feet above level, and you're going up – Clients, and you're running out of you're running out of breath because you're in altitude. But that's why you took all that time to go to Colorado Springs and train for altitude. Uh, yeah, there should be media training yeah. before these Olympics. <laughs> so uh, the next Winter Olympics is in Milan, so maybe I'll be prepared for that one because uh, <laughs> the the skiing events will be in Cortiba, I believe. So um, I'll be looking forward to that. But it, it was quite an adventure. Uh, I was telling you about the bus services, and the buses were just whacked, and they had. I think they shut down the universities. They had all the college kids, like, telling us which bus we needed to get on mm -hmm. and go to where. And they're all incredibly nice. And they're all incredibly helpful. You know, and, and most of them spoke English, not all of them. You know, so sometimes you kind of had to work your way around that to figure out. I kept saying, 13, 13. Ah, oh, 13, 13 over here. <laughs> you know. Well, so, in China, they're not really volunteers. They are volunteered. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but they were nice. And it was, it was cool to get around. I, I wish I could have seen more of the city. Beijing has 21.5 million people in it. So imagine the number of roads, and downtown never ended, it seemed like, and a lot of concrete, a lot of concrete. Um, we just wanted to get out and explore a little bit, but we were unable because we're in a closed loop. But, uh, yes, it was an experience of a lifetime, even though there weren't fans, um, and we couldn't get around. You know, I couldn't be nosy in the country and say, so how do you feel about uh, <laughs> yeah. the Uyghurs right now? Yeah, what they're doing I, yeah. to the Tibetan? I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I would have advised strongly yeah. against that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it, It's funny, Lavelle, because, you know, you, I covered the Minnesota Twins for the Star Tribune. You came in right behind me right. and covered the Minnesota Twins after I did. I, I started writing a column. Now you're a Star Tribune columnist. And now we've both covered Olympics in Beijing. Because I covered a summer, summer Olympics games. in Beijing, and it was also a closed system. There's a lot of barbed wire, a lot of machine guns, uh, a lot of restrictions. And at that time, when we got there, because it was summertime and they were building, it was like they were building a new city every day. Yep. And you talk about concrete, that's all it was. It was just concrete building after concrete building. And the 
you know, whatever you want to call it, the substance, the, the, the yeah. smog, whatever was coming off the concrete and creating its own smog system, <laughs> we actually, I, we, a lot of people were wearing masks because you couldn't breathe that stuff in every day. And until it rained, it was almost dangerous to breathe the air there. And then the baseball yeah. wouldn't travel very far because the concrete was new. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So what, what, since you've been there, all the buses are electric now. They had electric buses and trolley buses now on cables and stuff. So uh, I didn't really see much of a smog factor, but everybody had on mask. Um, even though it was wintertime, thousands of bicycles, thousands of uh, motor scooters, mm-hmm. thousands. It was incredible. And families would be on these scooters. Like you'd have the husband driving the scooter. You have the wife behind the husband. And the kid would be basically in the father's lap or so short they'd be standing on top of the scooter while they're driving down the street as a family. You know, so that was uh, rather remarkable. And you know this, then, uh, um, where the media center is at, you could basically walk to the aquatic center and you could walk to the National Indoor yeah. Stadium. But because we're in a, a closed loop, we had to take a bus there. Yep. Which you're sitting there, I'm looking at the aquatic center from the media center going, I just walked there. But no, you had to take a bus. <laughs> you know, so... That was a little. That was a little different. Yeah, I, I found Beijing to be very difficult. I remember Carlos Gonzalez, our great photographer, uh, and my lead guitarist. We were uh, just kind of in the loop, and we were just eating this, these crud meals at the media centers. Every you know, we'd go to cover an event and just eat lousy food. Said so one day we're going to go to a real restaurant, and so we had to like get permission. Then we had to go outside the restricted area, and we walked to a place that looked like an absolute palace. It was just gorgeous. Like okay. Let's splurge. Let's go in. We go in. We sit down. Beautiful, you know, tablecloth. Uh, you know, all the waiters are wearing bow ties. Everything was very fancy. Way too nice for us. And, of course, we don't know how to speak Chinese or Mandarin or anything. So we pointed at the menu, and they brought it out. And I swear to God, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, because I love Chinese food in general, or as they call it in China, food. Um, and everything they brought out, had eyeballs and was moving. Yeah. Okay. You brought that up. Yes. And Rachel told me a similar story about, you know, she went out with someone to dinner, and they started pointing at stuff at the menu, and the, the host was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and they were posting something, something else. They said, no, 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 no. And they found out that the first thing they pointed to was donkey. Oh. <laughs> and so they ended up, not, and they just kept saying, okay, Chicken, whatever chicken is, you know. <laughs> so they brought out some chicken. Uh, my brother-in-law used to travel to uh, China in the old days. This is back 20 years probably. And he would come home with stories about monkey brains. Yeah. And, and, how, and I mean, it was, it was gruesome it, uh, how, they, how they would serve that. Yes. It was, ugh. Yeah. So good to be back at Pizza Luce where you can order <laughs> a good old-fashioned <laughs> American pizza. Yeah which kicks the crap out of the Chinese pizza we were forced to eat there <laughs> if we chose to do so. Um, yeah, the salami pizza was probably the best thing they had going. The Mexican-style beef pizza uh, did not have good reviews, so I never <laughs> Mexican-style beef pizza in China, I'm not sure I would And then we that. had robots making meals in the media dining room. That was the funny part. So you would order something, and you have to go to an assigned spot in the dining area to wait for it. So you're watching these robot arms, and they're grabbing the ingredients, and it's pulling it out, and it's turning it over, and then it's shaking it down into whatever pot, you know, taking turns. So then it's cooking in this pot. So finally, eventually, they pick up the pot, pour it on a plate. Robot arm picks up the plate, puts it on a, tr- on a conveyor belt. The conveyor belt system was connected to the ceiling. So you see all these little plates 
going up and down, left and right around this conveyor belt system. Then it gets over to the section you're sitting in and then lowers it down for you to grab and to eat. <laughs> and so, and they had a robot making drinks. So someone ordered like a vodka tonic. It's going up and pulling on a little spigot that released vodka. And then they move the glass over to get tonic water. And then did you ever see, shake it did up. Did you ever see the movie Contagion? I've heard of that you know, movie. I specifically have tried not <laughs> to watch it. I'm uh, just saying. And so, and then um, the TVs, all just all Chinese, a lot of comedies. They have a lot of comedies on Chinese television. But whenever news came on. Oh, that's not what I thought you like, said at first. I go, what? Comedies. I, 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 I go, well, of course they do. So there was, there was like an official from another country in town. Um, meeting with Xi Jinping, the president of China. It was on every station in China. I kept clicking three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine channels. The same conversation was going on between Xi Jinping and this other, I don't know, whatever official from this other country was. It was like, you have to watch this. We want you to watch this. And then um, they had the CNN World Channel on, so I could keep up with stuff that's going on here a little bit. But the three times they have it, had an update on Pong Shui, the Chinese tennis player who accused an official of rape yep. and they had to backtrack on her statement. Every time that segment was about to come on, all of a sudden I had color bars on my television mm -hmm. screen for about five minutes. And then all of a sudden it will come back and that segment's over. They also did it when, um, remember the Enos Cantor? He's now Enos mm -hmm. Freedom. <laughs> they were interviewing him about human rights problems in China. That one got color barred off oh, as sure. well. So you saw, you kind of saw firsthand the suppressive, uh, the suppressive, the uh, suppression of free speech that was going on there. So, yeah. And that's um, a good thing about this show is we only cut about a third of Lavelle's stuff out. We, <laughs> most of the stuff Lavelle says we actually put on this show. We take the risk. That's we believe in freedom. Thank you. <laughs> I like being on a podcast where I can be free. This is Chin Music. This is our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. You can find all of our shows at TalkNorth.com. We recommend subscribing at your favorite podcast app. It is free. It is easy. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod. See the shows as they are released and see our live shows, show dates. I'm sorry we got the uh, time and date for this show out a little late. We're just trying to kind of catch up after starting to do live shows again. We do appreciate everybody listens. Uh, thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. And thanks to our sponsors, Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of the live shows at Pizza Luce. Thanks also to Eleven Wells. They have a special right now. If, if you mention, if you mention the, the Chin Music podcast at Eleven Wells, you get, you get a free drink. Buy one, get one. Ooh, whoa. So mention the Chin Music Podcast at 11 Wells and get buy one, get one. I highly recommend that. And, of course, it's a great place to go before and after wild games or any time at all. All right, let's try to talk some baseball here, even though there's not a lot going on. We're talking here on Wednesday night. Uh, at least the sides have been having lengthy meetings. I don't know what that means. Uh, but let's start with Roy. Just, Roy, what's your gut feeling about the way things are going you know, just throw anything you want at me at all about the negotiations, <laughs> if you have anything. Well, I, I'm sure that I am actually pretty sure that uh, you two guys know way more about it than, than uh, I do. If anything at all is going on, I, I certainly don't know. It's, it's good that they're, they're meeting on a regular basis. It makes me laugh about these long meetings. Again, I've, I've talked about the experiences that I've had in negotiating meetings between the owners and the players' representatives. And they can get long, and it's incredible how little gets done. It's absolutely incredible. I sat, I sat there in my, my first one way back in 1976. I told the story about you know when I was 22 years old or whatever I was. And, and I expected to see some really cool negotiation and guys talking. And it was, 
it was kind of line by line, and nobody was making responses. And it, I thought, yeah, this is stupid. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that's what's going on now. But I kind of suspect that you know, if they're $100 million apart and one side says $5 million, the other side, the other side's going to say, you know, Okay, 95. You know, I mean, it's, the, I, I haven't heard any real substantive movement by either side yet. Because no one wants to go say, okay, let's go half. And the other side, we go, well, let's go 40. And so all of a sudden, it's switching over to their side at the end. So uh, you got to get through this little incremental in, uh, improvement part. Um, but for instance, the differences in the um, minimum salary. You know, the Players Association wants the minimum salary to go up to uh, another two hundred thousand dollars by twenty twenty seven, I believe. And from what to what? It's it's isn't it like about half a million dollars right now? Four. It's like five eighty or something like that. And so they want it pushing eight hundred thousand by twenty twenty seven. And the league's proposal is to push it like ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars a year. You know, so the two hundred twenty one minimum salary we set at five seventy. And uh, I think the proposals out there right now, MLB's offering like a $69,000 raise on that. Um, and that's, you know. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to – the thing is, all these little incremental things, what I'm most interested in is kind of philosophy and intent. So do you guys think the players or the owners are more intent on getting a deal done? You know, I don't really know how to answer that. I was just th- it just occurred to me that when when you guys said that it's five hundred and seventy thousand, that means when I when I broke in making the major league minimum at at the rate I was being paid, I if I never got any more of the major league minimum, I would have had to play thirty years. <laughs> oh my God! Just just to get to one year of what the minimum oh, is last man. year. <laughs> it, it is it is remarkable how much. Salaries have gone up, but of course, as salaries have gone up, we've also realized just, I mean, what a great deal owning a baseball team is. You see the the, the franchise valuations, the, the the amount that franchises are sold for when somebody's willing to sell one, uh, what they're going to get for expansion franchises. Uh, I mean, the owners are doing very well. The players are doing very well. I, there's a lot of money in the there's game. There's a lot of money in the game. And, and they're really, yes, I mean, they're fighting. There's nothing structural that I can tell that there's, that there, it's just... It's it's just who gets which slice of this big giant pie, and they're part of a business that's gonna when everything when there's no pandemic and everything's being run on a normal schedule, it's making eleven billion dollars a year. <laughs> you know, it, there's thirty, right? Thirty owners that are thirty-two, thirty, 30 owners that 30 are right now that are part of an industry that's grow, making eleven billion in revenue. So yeah, you want to be part of that. You want you want to be part of that. So I'm gonna let you guys rip on my premise. I wrote about it the other day and. You know, I kind of pointed out that everybody gets so frustrated by the negotiation. Everybody starts ripping on both sides. Everybody starts calling people greedy. And everybody's very offended that the, the spring training might be shortened, that the regular season might be shortened. And, of course, these are not good things. Of course, you want it to start on schedule. And, of course, you know, spring training towns will be hurt at least a little bit if things aren't starting on time. But it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, in my eyes, if you end up getting a collective bargaining agreement, even if you end up shortening spring training this year, and even if you end up losing a few games. Because I don't want to be hypocritical. I think spring training's too long, and I think a 162-game season is probably too long at this point. So if they get a deal and play 144 games and a quick spring training, I don't know that that's the worst outcome. Um, 
Well, the Lavelle plan would already shorten the, the regular season to 154 games. There you go. I think those are eight days where you don't have a crappy pitcher to put on the, on the, on the mound. You and know? that's one of the points I made is nobody has enough pitching to get through 162 games anymore. Yeah. Um, as far as spring training, it, it's weird because, well, the way pitchers are being used now with the opener and, and starters going five innings, you, you got pitchers are getting uh, the arms built up to throw anywhere. It depends what team it is. Some teams just want to start the season when guys are able to throw 80 pitches. Some teams get their pitches up to 100 pitches. You know, Max Scherzer probably wants to be able to throw 120 pitches on opening day. You know, so everybody's scale is different. So spring training is only there for the pitchers to get their arms ready. So if you can do that in less than a month, you know, maybe it's possible. Um, but uh, let me ask you this, though, Roy. When would you pick up a bat before the next spring training normally? Oh, I was – I'd – Hit most of the time. I'd hit somewhere two or three times a week in the winter time. I would even in like know, November, December. Not in November, December. I'd, I it would uh, well. It's a lot of times when I when I was playing for the the Twins early in my career. Well, my whole career. I mean, I lived here in Minnesota, and we didn't have the luxury of just going uh, having a, a home in Florida and having a workout, you know, place and trainers and all that kind of stuff. You just had to do the best you could and. And we ended up going out to California, where I was originally from. We bought a condo out there, and I'd go out there and work out with some guys uh, out there in January for, you know, four, five, six weeks, and that, and then go to spring training. So that was, you know, that was about it. But back to your point about how much you need, you need a week of let's go out and take batting practice and infield practice and all all that kind of stuff. Then you need two weeks of games, and you're pretty much ready. So the Suham plan will probably shorten. Spring training to about a month, I would imagine, instead of six weeks in? A month, is, a month is fine. It's two weeks too long. Yeah, exactly. I think a month of spring training is fine, and I think anywhere around 140 games is fine. You ask so, any player, you ask any player, and they'll just tell you the last 10 days to two weeks of spring training is just agony. Kadair used to tell me he needed three weeks. Yeah, that's yep. what I said. You, yep. you, you hit against coaches in batting practice for a week, maybe a couple of pitchers, you know, getting some work in. You, you play games for two weeks. Ready to go. And that's using that's three weeks of games probably in which the regulars would play most of the time instead of having a bunch of that's num- the thing, number the first week of spring training, the games are horrible. The number seventy eight playing, number ninety two playing, yeah. you know. No, if spring training is about getting the pitchers' arms ready and seeing have the coaching staff see as many as many players that they don't know who they are mm-hmm. as, as possible. Right. These these kids come up from Meyer Lays and go, oh, who's this guy? You know, and then they gotta see what he can do. Oh he did this or that in double A. Okay, well let's take a look. You guys are reminding me, uh, when I started covering the Twins, you know, I was trying to get to know people, so I would go over there whenever they're going to do something at the Metrodome. You know, TK would get out there and, and with Steli, and they'd throw a little BP in, in January or something. I still remember. Uh, so this is 93. Knobloch is up there, and he's just fouling pitches off his feet. And, fouling, and this is a great, great young hitter, and he just can't make contact. He hasn't been swinging, and he's just rusty as heck. Then Herbeck walk, walk, just walks in, you know, probably with a donut in his mouth, walks in, steps in the cage, and just every swing was a home run into the right field upper deck. He just, he, that's who he was, man. Let me tell you something about Kent Herbeck. Kent Herbeck will beat you at any game yep. you want to play. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You've hit tiddlywinks. It does not matter what it is if there's a competition that involves any kind of game playing that involves physical activity. 
Kent Herbeck will beat your ass. I'm just telling you. You know who else was a great, as he called it, barroom Olympian? <laughs> Ron Gardenhire. Is that right? Gardy would kick. Gardy was good at everything: golf, darts, pool, games of yeah, chance. I guess he just Gardy was good at everything. Yeah, that's Herbeck. I mean, Herbie was amazing. I mean, he's he was an amazing, amazing athlete. Wow. So, so start spring training on March first and be done by the end of March. Yep. Okay. And have a 154-game schedule, so you start on April 5th or, you know, whatever right. it is. You, you the still normal have... deal is let Cincinnati play the first game on April 4th or whatever, right. yeah. like it always was, and just do it that way. I, still I, have... I like that idea a lot. Pitching coaches will still be, I got to get my pitchers built up even that month. We have to be here six weeks in advance. But unless, is... unless you trust your, your players but, to get ready on their own so they can – Hit well, the ground yeah, running. It won't, it won't take too long for I, most of the players are ready anyway. They now. are. They 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 they're all they're all working out all winter long, and they're 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 ready. They you don't need to you don't need to get them ready. They, they they'll be ready when they show up. Or do well? I don't know if every place could do that because uh, some places have outdoor stadiums. Unless you have your players come to your your the whole city. And work out in their city t- together for a couple weeks. Then go to Florida for games. But a, a lot of these guys also have, even if they live someplace that isn't doesn't have great weather, they have a place someplace warm, whether it's a spring training site or an off-season home, whatever. I mean, we know almost everybody in the Twins organization has a place in Fort Myers, hmm. yeah, or or Arizona for uh, yeah. teams that are out there. So maybe you could have a Florida tournament or a Florida workout schedule where they face each other like an instructional league for a couple weeks the and pitchers, then have the month of spring training games. They're getting the starting pitchers ready for five innings. Right. How, how long do you have to prepare for that? <laughs> five innings. You know, you, you, exactly. you know what? We I need four weeks to get ready to throw 80 pitches. But we're, we're, trying to get a, we're trying to move forward from that. We want to stop the average start being five innings, right? We want our pitches to go seven or eight. I think we do. Well, we all do, but yeah. it's not going to happen. Uh, Which is another conversation, and we will get to that in a second. We you have do want to ungeek the sport, then. We do need to ungeek the sport, <laughs> no question about it. Uh, hey, let's thank our sponsors, Memorial Blood Centers. Black Blood Matters. That's right. Local Memorial Blood Centers is calling for members of our black communities to step up and help hospital patients fighting sickle cell disease. For some patients who need frequent blood transfusions, it's critical to find donors with similar blood characteristics and ethnicity. Give blood and help people in need. Visit mbc.org to schedule a time to donate or to learn more about the Sickle Cell Donor Program. That's mbc.org. We would also like to thank Better Edge. If you're be, a lot, sports gambling is exploding, and we recommend using Better Edge. I wonder how many guys did during the Super Bowl. There are all kinds of prop bets you could do on Better Edge. Combine your love for competition, social, and sports with Better Edge, the sports betting exchange that actually gives back to its betters. Better Edge is a brand new locally based betting platform meant to connect users and attempt to add some coin to the bank. Completely legal and 100% fun, compete against friends, sports insiders, and yourself with Better Edge in a number of different sports and event competitions. In fact, you could follow me. My username is Sonny Everett on this platform to see what my picks are. Use code CHIN for a free $10 when you sign up by visiting betteredge.com. That's B E T. T-O-R, edge.com. Uh, I will, and also, let's thank uh, a sponsor that Lavelle brought to the network, Perfect Ash. Yes, the Perfect Ash, um, located in Invergrove Heights. I actually stopped by there today before I came out here to say hello to the folks there, and Patrick, the owner, was there, and things are 
things are going gangbusters there. The humidor Beautiful. is full with cigars. People are in there buying cigars. It's a great place to hang out with like-minded individuals, smoke a cigar, <laughs> and complain about baseball because there's a lot of passionate baseball people who hang out there. There's a few guys who are actually in Stratomatic leagues. So, you know, the Stratomatic people are super passionate baseball fans. You bet. So we have these discussions about saving, uh, fixing baseball all the time, and you can uh, have those type of conversations and others at the I thought you said you were trying to ungeek the game. Well, these, these no, geeks you know, are not running cigar, baseball. Cigar smoking conversation is the opposite of geek. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I was actually poking fun at Stratomatic players, which is a way of poking <laughs> fun at myself because I played all those games. Well, I had to go to the Ash today stuff. because my, I did not smoke a single cigar in Beijing, so uh, I had to get my fix in. So um, Perfect Ash and McGrove Heights, check it out because it's a great time with great people. Let me throw another one of my premises at you, gentlemen. Uh-oh. And that is that... And I'm old enough that I've been, I've been through some work stoppages before. I've written about them. I've been a fan for some of them. And what you always hear is a fan saying, I'm never going to a game again. You know, screw both sides. I'm not buying it. Attendance always goes up. Attendance always returns and then surpasses previous norms. Do you think this time it's any different? Let's start with Roy. I think, as I said uh, last week or the week before, uh, fans have been through two really crummy years. The, the two years ago, it was, it, it was there was no no fans allowed, and last year it started. You know, fans got kind of got you know dribbled in little by little, and and things were just were still just different. And uh, I I think that this is coming on the heels of that. I think they need to get this settled. I I agree with you, and I don't think the fans are going to go away permanently. And, but I, I don't like the attitude of the, the two sides, the two combatants in this deal, saying, hey, the fans will come back. You know, I, we don't really care if they're mad for a while. They'll come back. I just don't like that. And, and so I, my own personal feeling, and it probably is not, would not make a difference to the fans or anybody else by the end of the season in terms of attendance. This just feels a little different to me. This feels a little bit more like, the uh, when they went out in '94, I mean, they were out the whole season, and and you know they lost that year, and boy, fans were. I mean, it took it took a while. That's I don't true. think I don't think we're you know we're back. <laughs> Steroids actually saved the game then. I mean, <laughs> after that, I mean, it was incredible because the fans were all mad, and then all of a sudden it was, you know, guys hitting seventy three guys hitting seventy home get you know close in on seventy home runs, and baseball was back. It you know, never looked back, but. This one feels a little bit different to me, Lavelle. It oh. just feels a little bit more dangerous to the fan for, for, from the, for messing with the fans this year. Yeah, I, but the, here's my thing. I, I still think if you get to a baseball season that does have the specter of the pandemic hovering over his head, I think there's some fans who stayed away because of that. Even last year when things started opening up, I still think there's some fans who stayed away. Oh, there absolutely you were. Know, and I, mean, I, I think the fact that's that, why I said that's why they, there was two crummy years. There were yeah. a lot of fans that didn't see baseball live for two years. And I think some will come back right away whenever baseball would get, uh, yeah. get through their crap here. Um, but I think there are some hardcore fans who will feel jaded to the point where I'm going to sit this out for a year. But eventually they all came back. It just happened at different intervals with different people. Yeah, I know a lot of people that are really disgruntled with a lot of stuff about baseball. And, and they've told me, you know, I don't watch anymore. I mean, I just don't go. I don't watch. I don't care. But to your point, Jim, the game is just roaring. 
it's still I mean, it's absolutely wrong. The anecdotal evidence is always, oh, this person or that person says they're not watching, they're not going right. to go back. And then the ratings come in, and they're sky high, and the attendance comes in, and it's sky high. And so I, I just think that, you know, I, I just, I just kind of nod and move on when I hear people saying that. Here's, here's my other point about baseball. And, you know, our friend Patrick Royce has made this point a million times. The NFL has, you know, basically made racist statements about its own players. It has denied brain injury. It has covered up brain injury. It has the highest incident of major injury of any major sport. Um, they've had scandal. They've had every kind of scandal. They've been misogynistic and objectified women. They've, you know, and now Jerry Jones is, is yes. uh, you know, and his organization. They, they, the NFL has made every possible PR mistake you can make, and they've had lockouts and strikes, and they've used replacement players, and it doesn't affect them at all. I think base. I think baseball's perceptive problem is that people feel like it's a family member who should be on their side. Whereas NFL, I think people just hey, it's an entertainment entity. And I'm going to watch on Sunday, and I, I might not like what's going on, but I'm still I, for, I can watch this sport three hours on Sunday. Baseball, it almost feels like you know people are so they care about it at a grassroots level so much they're more offended when this kind of thing goes on. There's no question that uh, baseball to baseball fans, there is a connection and an affinity there in terms of it being part of their day-to-day life that you just don't see in any other sport. I mean, you just don't. I mean, it, and football, you know, playing once a week and the games mean more and it's a, it's a gladiator contest. And I mean, it, it, you get hyped up for that. And, that's, and I get that. That's, that's what that deal is. But that's not what baseball's deal is. Baseball's deal is uh, you're at home or you're driving in your car, you're doing something out in the garage, you turn the radio on, you listen to your, your, your hometown uh, announcers whom you love, and it's and the just the rhythm of baseball is going on every day in your life, day in, day out, and it it becomes part it becomes part of your part of that fabric. And I I don't mean to sound overly romantic or uh, uh, or proprietary about that. I I just know that's the way it is. I've been around it my whole life. I know that's what it is. Uh, I will say this too. The one thing that's disappointing about what's going on right now is that the 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 negotiations and the meetings they should be having. Is about to improve how the game is being played on the field. Um, and right now we're talking about economic issues, but they also need to examine um, the shifting, the time of game, um, robot umpires, if you want them or not. They need to figure out a way to make, make the pace of the You talked about rhythm. The rhythm of the game has been upset the last several years. Even though Rob Manfred's tried to speed up games, uh, everything he's done has backfired on him because games are going – more than three hours it's regularly. Because they're trying to, they're trying to fix the wrong thing. Three, yeah. And they need to address um, pitchers getting rid of the ball faster. Uh, they need to address, should we keep two infielders on each side of the field or do we allow for shifting or not? Uh, is robot umpires a solution or not? The game's being played slower than it's ever been. And what can they do to legislate that? I don't know. Well, I'm not sure I mean, if there's a way. You, you have to make a starting to pitcher go seven innings. That's yeah. the thing. Is, yeah. <laughs> pitching changes is still no, the biggest it's thing. Pitching changes is it, that's that's what slows the game down. That the pitching changes and the way the game is being played uh, between the pitcher and the hitter, because all the pitchers are trying to throw the ball 99 miles an hour, and all the hitters are trying to hit the ball 600 feet, and so there's going to be 
a lot of three and two counts. There's going to be a lot of foul balls. There's going to be a lot of strikeouts. So I mean, it, I the number the pitch is a pitch count per hitter is astronomical because it's it's three and two on everybody because guys are taking pitches to get that home run pitch so they're they're not putting the ball play early pitchers can't find the plate so it's ball three foul ball foul ball strikeout okay let's do it again bring the next guy up here and and that's going to be difficult to overcome in terms of in terms of time so what they have to do is they have to look at rules that they're starting to address with the parade of relief pitchers that come in there and i was a big proponent of you got to come in and pitch to three three hitters you may you may need to do even more than that there may need to be some other stuff about that because the terry franconas of the world will always be matching up yep. you know relief pitchers against certain hitters that's a good point Roy. really good points um my thing is this pitchers are dwaddling between pitches more than ever hitters are dwaddling between Pitches more than ever. You must, you must not have been watching baseball when Mike Hargrove and Carlton Fisk played. No, but kidding. they were the exceptions, though. <laughs> Those two guys were noted for how long they took before. How about Nomar Garcia Parra step yeah. out? And oh, my. He had the foot thing. Remember, he had the foot thing in the I still blame Paul O'Neill. O'Neill would foul off eight pitches. He would foul off eight pitches in a bat, and then he would glare at the umpire on every called strike. The Yankees are retiring his number. They just announced it the other day. Um, okay, pause let, here. One more thing, though. No, pause here. We're going to come right back to this. Okay. I do want to thank uh, one of our sponsors, another sponsor that Lavelle is very familiar with, Eleven Wells Distillery. Again, buy one, get one free when you mention chin music. And, you know, um, I came home last night from a 40-hour journey from my hotel in Beijing to my front door. And I first thing I did, well, the second thing I did after dropping my bags in the living room, I walked into the kitchen and looked for a beverage. And I saw the barrel-aged rum that I still have from Eleven Wells. And it, it's delicious. And it's a very flexible rum that you can use in old-fashioned. You can use in uh, a daiquiri. And you can use in some other things as well. Um, the, the, the Minnesota 13 whiskey is awesome. But the barrel-aged rum is something you need to ch- check out. So when you're going to Eleven Wells uh, Distillery located just outside downtown St. Paul to get your buy one, get one, you know, maybe those buy one, get ones is something that includes one of the bar- barrel-aged rum. I highly recommend that rum. Really good stuff. We also want to thank, uh, again, our our live show presenting sponsor, Corona. Uh, we do have some Corona, uh, what would you call those, insulated cups? Anyway, they're, they're cool blue kind of drinking like vessels. A ther- like a thermos cup. Yeah, thermos cup. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we have a bunch of those uh, here with us tonight. We will give those out at our next live show. Uh, come out. If you ask a live question at the next live show, you'll get one of these. They're, they're really cool looking. and I think I've been drinking Corona for 40 years. <laughs> before before I, the I marketing campaign I started. Did, before the, before the, I, it's started in Mexico. I, I found this, this little brown bottle with a yellow and blue top. It's just a v- very short thing. I'm, I, man, this is really, this is really good. And, and so I'd go back to Mexico every, every year and they'd be or, uh, ordering Corona. Then all of a sudden, uh, one day I've been, I think I'm in California, Manhattan Beach, California. I walk in the liquor store and there's this whole new deal. It's a tall bottle and it says La Cerveza Mas Fina and it, it's a white lady. And, and it, I thought, wait, wait, I know Corona, but this ain't it. But it was, and it's good. One of the rites of passage, uh, uh, when I started drinking in college, um, I'm going to say I started drinking in college, uh, <laughs> is the first time sure. I went to a bar at the University of Illinois and, and was told, taught that you had to take the lime and put it in the bottle of Corona yeah. yep. before you drank the Corona. 
So I remember that day vividly. Good stuff. And we also want to thank Pizza Luce, uh, all the Pizza Luce's. We are, of course, at the Eden Prairie Pizza Luce right now. We also do live shows at the downtown Pizza Luce, which is a great place for pregame and postgame. Uh, and, hey, things are getting back to normal here. Come out to the pizza joint, watch a game, have a drink, come to our live shows, uh, and tell Pizza Luce we sent, we sent you. Uh, and thanks again for their sponsorship. Uh, so let's get back to what we were saying. You know, because we're talking about starting pitchers. And this is not a new thought, but it really did strike me during this incredible NFL postseason that what you always saw was this quarterback against that quarterback, this quarterback legacy against that quarterback legacy, this guy got traded for to elevate this team. Starting pitchers are the quarterbacks of baseball. And when you use an opener or when you limit somebody to four innings and let somebody else decide the game, you are taking away as to use Roy's word, you're taking away the romance of the game. The romance is this pitcher against that pitcher, and they both got to figure it out today. And and both pitchers against the opposite lineups, yeah. uh, many of whom are of which are so good. They're such yeah. good hitters, and I mean, and there should be a lot of romance to that. There should be some phenomenal matchups, and there are, but it's just it's getting harder and harder to to really really get into that. Um, as a kid opening up the sports section and, and looking at the baseball page and saying, wow, Jim Palmer is facing, um, give me a good pitcher for the Indians. Don Dr- oh, I was say Don Dr- Drysdale. Well, that's, for the yeah. Indians? Well, yeah, I'm just trying yeah, to come well, up. Uh, oh, that would back in, back in the day, who would have that been? Catfish Hunter uh, versus Jim Palmer. There you yeah. go. Ooh, that's a great matchup, you yeah. know. Who's pitching for Moy Sox today? Oh, I got Jim Cock going today. Oh, I got Wilbur Wood. Oh, I got uh, Mark Johnson or whatever, you know. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll go tune in and watch that. Um, now you're like, why is Sergio Romo starting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers today? I'm sorry, Tampa Bay Rays. You know, because he's an opener. You know, that's not going to get me, make me go buy a ticket and go watch that game on the whim. And you to know? extend how the... About, how to, about Ron Guidry versus Dennis Eckersley in oh, Fenway? You know oh, I mean? It, <laughs> it was pretty good stuff. And, and to extend the analogy, you know, if you, if you were trying to sell expensive Vikings tickets... Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, and it's going to be uh, Sean Manning against Jordan Love. Oh, exactly. It just ain't the same. No, it's not. It's definitely not. So what I want to ask Roy is, um, should we manipulate the strike zone in order to get more action? Should we make it bigger? Should we have the higher strike called? Should we widen home plate to make the width no. of the strike zone bigger? No. No, I don't want to change. To get the batters to swing more. I, I, I would like to see... Uh, I, and there are a lot of reasons why it can't happen, but what I'd really like to see is the laser strike zones, the electronic strike zone, because just by having and and you don't have to necessarily make it big, make the strike zone longer. You just need to establish what uh, what the strike is. And a high strike, if it's called all the time, wherever they put it, it used to be letters. It's not letters anymore. It's like right underneath the letters of the uniform, but wherever, I mean, you can adjust it later, but start with traditional, you know, right where they generally call it now, right under the, in the bottom, draw a line through the bottom letters of the, uh, that's on the front of their, their uniform shirts and have the, have the laser call on the plate or not and knees to just under the letters or not. And I guarantee you, pitchers will learn how to throw strikes and hitters will learn what they have to swing at. And all you have to do is make it, 
this is always the case. If a slider comes in on the outside corner and the inside part of the ball just barely nips it, you're out. You're out. And I said, uh, Justin Morneau said it best. This, this was the way I felt about it, but he articulated it the best. So I, I said, yeah, but what about that, you know, what people are going to say, hitters are going to say, you know, what about the one that, you know, just, just nips it, you know, right on the edge. He goes, I'll get used to that one. I'm just tired of the one three feet outside being called a strike. Right. You know, I mean, and, and, yeah. and that's, where you, that's where you are. Hitters, hitters take a lot of pitches for a lot of reasons, one of which is, they don't know for sure what a strike is from, a, from the umpire standpoint, you know, what this umpire is going to call. They don't know. Also, as, and I, the reason I brought up Paul O'Neill earlier is we saw it with those mid-late 90s Yankees teams that they were not going to get called out in Yankee Stadium on a third pitch called strike. It was a smaller strike zone for a Yankee in Yankee Stadium, and robot umps, thank you very much, uh, and robot umps Thank you. solve that. There is no, you know, there's yeah. no in, umpire being intimidated by the hitter, the crowd, the manager. It's either a strike or it isn't, and that would speed up the game. It would also, as Roy said, it would it would prompt hitters to swing at strikes and put the ball in play. That has come up before, where people from the Twins have said that the the crowd and the and the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium affects the umpiring there. And it does. And yes. I'm well, Fenway's the same way. Fenway's the same. When yep. I, when I, my first year in the big leagues, one of the, one of the first trips I went on was to, uh, to Fenway Park. And uh, Yaz came up. Carlos Strzemski comes up to the plate. Rent, runners on base. And I, I, move, I move over right behind second base. I play them on a big shift. And so I've got, I'm looking right straight down the mound at, at uh, home plate. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, uh, I don't even remember the pitcher that we had, but he was throwing the whole ball on the plate. The whole ball was on the plate. I could see that from, from where I was. And, you know, with, with two strikes, uh you're not calling Yaz out in this situation mm -hmm. in Fenway. There's no way that was going to happen. Yeah, And, and so, it didn't. Yeah. Plus, those teams always were loaded with good players. Good players got reputation calls on top of the, the, top of the, the atmosphere being down the throats, down the next to the umpires as well. So, I mean, try to throw... If Wade Boggs took a pitch, uh, then it had the, to I was be just a ball. Gonna, yes. I was just going <laughs> to the exact guy I was going to tell you. First of all, Wade Boggs, if he took it, it was going to be a ball, regardless of whether it was ball or strike. If he took it, it was a ball. And also, when he got to two strikes, he would just he would foul the ball off 17 mm -hmm. times before he finally got a base hit, he finally got a pitch that he could, that, that he could hit. He was, he was incredible. And but. it's always fun when those moments happen once in a while in baseball, but in today's game, everybody's doing it yeah. now. You know, I, I looked this up years ago. And Stat, when StatCast first came out, I, did a, I went back and looked at the foul balls hit every year, and it, it's gone up 50% mm -hmm. in the last, like, five or six years. It's remarkable. Well, it's my, but that was my point, Lavelle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you brought that up earlier, it, and I started it, thinking about that. It, it's it's where the it, it's how the pitchers are trying to pitch, so can, and how the hitters are trying to hit, and they don't square it up. You know, when they square it up, it goes a long ways. I mean, it does, and it's fun, but they're they're not squaring it up nearly as much and nearly as early. I was counts. I was curious because because of the launch angle phase that we're in right now. Some pitchers have found success pitching up in his own more because of, because of the, the swing path Absolutely. right now. But it hasn't taken hold to the point where it's equalized. I don't know if it's so, really been the equalizer. So think about this. Think about the old-time pictures of Joe DiMaggio, right, or Lou Gehrig. And it, it, it can be later on than even than DiMaggio. Uh, Henry Aaron. 
You see, their, uh, think about the old black and white pictures to see guys following through and the, and the, the bat's below their shoulder. Below, if he's a right-hand hitter, he swings, the bat comes below his left shoulder in the, in the follow-through. That was because they, they were trying to be way more level at the ball, and high pitches were already up in the home run zone because, because they could get the big end of the bat to the high pitch. So the whole mantra was get the ball down, get the ball mm -hmm. down, right? Because these, these swings on low pitches would induce ground balls. But you could throw the ball up to these guys. They could hit high fastballs because of their, their swing arc, and those balls were home runs. So for decades, you, you, know, you heard, get, keep the ball down, keep the ball down. Now you look at the follow-throughs on guys. And the follow-through on home run hitters now, so it, the hand, hands are above the, yeah. uh, above the front and the shoulder. Bat, the bat's like out and, to and, here. And, <laughs> right. I mean, they yeah. have this great big extension of the ball, and, and the bat you know, comes way up around, around his head almost, like a golf swing, as you say, Jim. And so now, it's guys, they've figured that out. They, got, they pitch up. You can't, you can't have that swing plane and handle a fastball at, at stomach high. You, you can't. You can't. You kill the ball knee high, absolutely kill it because it's it's just easier to drop the head on it, as, the head of the bat as you're yeah. as you're as you're as you're hitting trying to hit that launch angle. Because someone like Jake Odorizzi, who can touch 95 at times, but usually is 93, 92, yeah. occasional, you know, he started having success up in the, yeah. at the mm -hmm. top part of the zone with the so fastball. So what you're finding out about those guys and what they figured out about themselves, and this is the this is a geeky thing. But I, I, I believe, it made a believer out of me that there's actually something to this carry. In the, in the old days, we used to call it a, a guy's got, he's got late life uh, or he's sneaky fast. Through the rising right. fastball. Remember the rising yeah, fastball? And, it, which... and the, the ball doesn't rise, obviously. It right. just, it, and Jack Moore said it really great. He said, it, he said the carry means that the, uh, that the, the, the velocity doesn't change as much right. between the hand of the pitcher and, and the plate, right? The, the velocity stays the same. And so it gives a, an optic illusion that, you know, the ball is really riding up, right? But Odorizzi realized that he has carry, right? His 92 plays more like 94, 95. Um, Bailey Over's fastball it does mm -hmm. that. Uh, yeah, he can, that's true, yeah. He can pitch up in the zone. And I know I don't know what his carry is. I don't know what they, they have a number for it. I don't know what it is, but I know he's got it because I see good hitters fouling off high fastballs mm -hmm. here, and it's 91. And I go, how are they not just killing yep. that ball up there? And they're they're not because he's a little deceptive with his with his delivery, and the ball's got that continued life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't slow down. Joe Ryan, huh? Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan's got a little that, bit yeah. of that. Absolutely, he's got a little bit of that. So. To your point, Lavelle, I mean, there, I'm surprised that more pitchers and pitching coaches, if they if they figure out that this this particular pitcher's got carry on his fastball, I, today's day and age with hitters, I I pitch here, son, you pitch right up here, mm -hmm. just pitch right up here. We've kind of gone off another. I'm sorry for firing questions, oh, but we keep we've kind of head off in a different direction here, but. Um, what about the pitchers who had deceptive deliveries? Because remember, Scott Baker could get away sometimes up in the zone. Eddie Guardado hit the would, ball beautifully. Yeah. And I, I talked to opposing hitters. They say, I just don't see the ball. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Baker's delivery, somehow his glove was like held in a certain way where the ball would come popping out behind where he was holding the glove up. And it was on hitters. A little, just a little bit of a split second 
quicker than they yep. anticipated. Yep, and, and that's and when you've got both, you know, Bailey Obert has, has a little bit of both. I think uh, Joe Ryan's got a little bit mm -hmm. of both. A little deceptive, a little bit of carry on the fastball, and it plays a lot, you know, a, a lot better, a lot faster than it is. And and what I liked about Joe Ryan, for example, is he got the, he has those things going for him. And he just throws it in there. Yeah. He just he throws it. And that puts so – the combination of those three things, it puts so much pressure on the hitter. You said, guys, that I just don't see the ball, you know, off Eddie Guardardo. You talk to any hitter about hitting, you'll hear a lot of stuff. But the biggest concern is how am I seeing the ball? Yep. Can I see it? Can I see – where am I – how can I pick up his hand? How do I pick up the rotation? Am I seeing it right? That's the whole deal for a hitter. I mean, it, not the whole. It's 70% of the game. You've got to see it. And plus, Bailey Ober, when he releases the ball, he's probably closer to home plate than most pitchers in <laughs> and baseball. And that's, part, true. Of it, that's yes. part of his deception. Yeah. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to make a Joe Maurer reference here. I do want to let you know we have tons of good shows at TalkNorth.com. We've added Mike Grimm's Go Gopher podcast. We've added On the Bench, which is the Canadian hockey humor duo. They are huge in Canada. We're lucky to have them on our network. We have uh, Cheryl Reeve, Jeff Diamond, John Millay, Anthony Lapanta, Michael Russo, John Krasinski, more and more and more. Tons of outdoor content, uh, The Flush, Destination Polaris. Thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. We do appreciate it. So I'm going to go back to the strike zone just to, to work in a Twins reference here. We're talking about the Yankees, the Red Sox, always getting favorable calls. A robot umpire also would have given Joe Maurer more favorable calls. He would have drawn more walks with a robot umpire. He did not get the benefit of the doubt that most great hitters got. He didn't, and I actually said something to him one time. This is absolutely was none of my business, and I never. That's what we do in this I, business, I, I never, Roy. I never should have. I never should have said anything to Joe about about this. But I learned early on. Gene Mock told me one time. I had, I had a really good eye at the plate. I walked a lot, and uh, you know, scored a lot of runs. Had you were an analytics darling before there was analytics. <laughs> and uh, well, you were that. That actually, that's true. You know, Bill, on, Bill James walks. and. Bill yeah. James and all those guys, they, 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 loved they, you. they liked me an awful lot for, yeah. because of, you know, power and on-base percentage, even though I didn't hit for as high an average. I mean, I, uh, anyway, my point was going to be this. Mock told me, he said, look, you know the strike zone. You know the strike zone better than any umpire in the league. He says, don't ever, ever ask an umpire. If you, you, take, right. if, if you, swing, at a, if you swing at a pitch... And, and strike out when you're walking away. You see hitters turn around. Yeah. Was that high or was that low? Was that outside? He said, don't ever do that because you lose your credibility. You can get to the point where you can tell umpires. And I, and I would do this periodically. I, as I got you know, more mature and, more, you know, and, and my reputation got around, I, I, I said to umpires, that, ball's, that ball is not a strike. And he'd say something to me. I said, look, I know that I strike so better than you do. That's not a strike. You know, I would just say, I would just say that to him, you know, and stop just short of getting kicked, thrown out of the right. game. But, I mean, I just – because that was just between him and me, and I would say, you know, something like that. I went to Joe one time because I couldn't stand it any, any longer. There was his eye at the plate, and as good as he was, for him not to get uh, the benefit of the doubt on calls and, and, and not even benefit of the doubt – Balls that aren't strikes, he's getting called out on. And a, a hitter of his caliber and his knowledge of strike zone should not. And, and if anybody, more than I, could have had the right to say to an umpire, look, I know the strike zone better than you do. That would have been Joe. Uh, he, I mean, he needs Joe, to jump somebody's ass once in a while. Yep. He should have. And he needed, he needed it. But I just told him. I said, Joe, I, none of my business. You don't have to listen to me. But here, I, I have a strong suggestion. Don't ever ask an umpire where a pitch was. 
Don't ever ask them. You tell them. You tell them where the pitch was. You always be telling them where the pitch If you ask them, you're telling them, that's, a, that's not a strike, that's not a strike, that's not a strike. Then all of a sudden you swing and miss, and you walk away and go, well, is that ball high? Yeah. And then the umpire goes, well, he doesn't he know doesn't either. He doesn't know. I can call whatever I want. I call whatever <laughs> yeah. I want because he's asking me right. where it was. Right. And, you know, when Mock told me that, it just made, like most things, about the right on brand for Mock, like most things, it made so much sense. And I made a pretty good little um, strike zone career, you know, because of that. And Joe could have, I mean, Joe could have owned umpires. Yes. He could have absolutely owned umpires if he, did, if he hadn't been so nice you know, and, and complained about bad calls and then asked if, you know, asked what they, where was that pitch, you know. But he, you know, who was I to, I mean, I, I don't blame him for not doing that. It wasn't his nature and who the hell was I to, you know, to, you know even suggest that to him. But Well, anyway. Roy, Roy, the unofficial title of my column is, is it's none of my business, but. <laughs> and that's what we do in this business. Yeah, but, but I'm not in the business. Joel's I, hard, I'm I, in, know, I know. I'm in the business. I'm in the business of wanting great players to be great right. and a uh, greater and um, and good players to be great and mediocre players to have a lot of fun playing ball, yeah. staying around as long as they can. You know, that's that's my business. And I just noticed something I, I, that I thought was a travesty about you know how they treated Joe, and I thought maybe I could help. Imagine what his on base percentage would have been if he'd gotten calls. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's already great. We didn't help. Yeah. His best argument was, uh, I don't know about that one. Or, uh, <laughs> are you sure about that? Jeez. <laughs> it's not, geez. I don't know about that one. It's, it's, really, it's really true. And, you know, I mean, he needed it. In my, in my humble estimation, he should, have, he should have told out, never asked, always told when they were wrong. Just tell them, nope, nope, you're wrong. I know better than you. And then every once in a while, to your point, he should have jumped somebody's ass because, and, and made a big, hairy deal out of it because – you need to do that every once in a while, and and they would have they would have it would have gotten around, and his on base percentage would have been five hundred instead yeah. of four hundred. The yeah. greatest uh, the greatest uh, reaction to a strike it wasn't a, a player it was a coach, but the day the Twins were in Cleveland, it was two thousand one I think, and the season was going to crap, and uh, they needed to win everything, and uh, they went into Cleveland and like lost four out of five games or something, and Malder was the bench coach, and he got mad at the umpire. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And, and started screaming at the umpire from the dugout and got ejected. And yep. Molitor responded by taking the batting tee yep. and bringing it out of the dugout and slamming it on the, <laughs> on the grass in front of the dugout, arguing that the umpire was forcing pitches and sent the ball to the tee. <laughs> I love it. That is phenomenal. <laughs> that was great. Brilliant. Just phenomenal. All right, we're going to let Lavelle uh, go have a life after his uh, three and a half weeks in Beijing. So I'm going to come to Roy and Lavelle for a final thought. A uh, reminder, we want to thank our sponsors, Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins and the presenting sponsor of our live shows at Pizza Luce. Uh, thank you to Eleven Wells Distillery. Again, mention Chin Music and you'll get buy one, get one free deal. We uh, highly recommend that. Thanks to Pizza Luce. Thanks to Memorial Blood Centers, Better Edge, and Perfect Ash. Uh, Lavelle, Final thought on anything you like, including uh, your time in Beijing. Oh, wow. My time in Beijing. You know, is there something I liked about Beijing? Well, we start with Roy. <laughs> what do you think? Here, you yeah. think, you think yeah. about it. I, because I've got – now you guys got me all riled up here about, uh, about the changes in the game. So here's the deal. If you're going to keep geeking out, you're going to keep changing the game in various ways, then here's, here's what I think. First of all, A, do not expand. It's, we can't do, no dilution of talent. 
you have pitches pitching five innings as it is. Yeah. Don't, no delusion of talent. Uh, Secondly, impossible. not 154 games, Lavelle, 144. Just change Ooh, it. 144 games. That's my, my solution. Uh, you play 144 games, 130, I don't care what it is. You have your stars all getting rest in between series, and then they don't have to, you don't have to take them out. You got starting pitchers going seven innings because they pitch every six or seven days, and, and make it a little bit more uh, critical. Every, every game where your stars, your stars are playing. Well, you know what? My final thought's going to dovetail off of yours because if you, if you, if we shrink, the, if we use the Smalley plan and knock off 18 games from regular season, to me, then that will open up part of the Lavelle plan, which is to use the All Star break as a week long celebration of baseball, where you get rid of, you don't Love have it. any games for a week. But here's where you guys are going to get mad because I'm a big, I like the potential of the World Baseball Classic, and so. I want teams to qualify for the baseball classic during that goofy spring training period. But then you would have, during this all-star week, you'd have the semifinals and the finals of the World Baseball Classic, then play the all-star, then have the home run derby, then have the all-star game. You have to take two weeks, but that, that'd be okay with me too. I mean, that, that, you know, that's fine. I think it's a wonderful idea. I, let, I, love, I love the week-long, at least week-long celebration of, of baseball. I, li- I like that an awful lot. And, and I'm just saying all this stuff. I mean, they're talking about change. It's it's too late to be an old traditionalist like me. You know, like, well, what about stats, you know, and all this kind of stuff, 162 or 154. You got asterisks all over the place. You got asterisks when they went from 154 to 162. You got asterisks about steroid home runs. Yep. You got all of this stuff. Now you got asterisks about, you know, five-inning starting pitchers and different, and guys are getting holds. That's a new, that's a statistic. So, I mean, the, the tradition's out the window. So yep. let's just make the game really, really cool. You know, really, really great. That's such a great way to look at it. Yeah, either that or you're going to have to do something more drastic than making all games seven innings. Or making three, no. three balls and, a walk and, instead and, of four. And, and, and I feel like she, they put a guy out on the second base, I want to shoot him. Don't, <laughs> and in the tenth inning, no. Did you see what Alex? No, you don't, you don't try to. Did you see what Alex Cora said about that? No. He said put a runner on second in the tenth, and if no one scores in, Put runners on first and third in the eleventh. If no one scores there, load the bases for the twelfth. And I'm more like, play the game, play extra innings straight for at least a tenth, and then maybe go to adding a runner. But yeah, play play two innings at least. I mean, I I, I just don't I, I don't I don't like it. Ever nobody really likes it, but it that is a, a direct reaction to not have enough pitching. Yeah, it is because then you'd have some reliever come in and hold the fort. He'll pitch the ninth, tenth, and the eleventh. And he's done his job. He's he's supported his team. He bailed him out in a tough situation when they were low on pitching, and he gets into the, the clubhouse and finds out he's being sent down <laughs> because they need to bring up a fresh arm. <laughs> so okay, yeah. but so to, you to get that point, it's only a situation where you succeed at your job yeah, and get demoted yeah. because of it. To, <laughs> that, to that point, then that would be pretty easy to just make the rule. Look, whoever starts the tenth inning finishes the tenth inning one way or the other, right? Who you just finish it. I mean, once you get to extra innings, whatever lever you bring in for the tenth. That pitcher's going to be out there till the game's over until, or until he gets the third out. It's like, I don't want to see pitchers hit. I don't want to see position players pitch. And, but we've seen a proliferation of that because of not enough pitching. Not enough pitching. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We'll finish fixing baseball uh, in the next <laughs> Chin Music show. For tonight, uh, we do, we're going to have to divide up all this cool Corona uh, 
giveaways that we'll give away next time. Oh, uh, I guess I got to pay here. Too. Follow us on Twitter at uh, at Talk North Pod to see the time and date of the next live show. Come out and see us. Ask live questions. We'll give away some Corona stuff. Uh, and Made thank- in China. What a surprise! There, <laughs> you should you should have just brought them yourself. Yeah. Uh, so hey, thanks to Roy and thanks to Lavelle for making a special effort to get here. I know you're probably exhausted. Uh, good work in China and uh, good to have you back home. Thanks. <laughs>